Romans 6, we're going to uh, play off of where we were last week in Colossians 3, and uh, I want to review that briefly and then just extend that discussion uh, out of this chapter, Romans 6. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for the amazing privilege that we have of uh, your word given to us, made available to us. We, we praise you, Lord, for the history of the church in which you have preserved your word uh, at the cost of many lives and, Lord, at the effort of countless hours. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you that it has come to us in translation. It has come to us with all kind of helps, uh, commentary and men who know the word that have taught us all. Lord, thank you for the obvious effort that you've made, uh, the obvious work that you've done to bring the word to us. We pray that we will be humbled by that. We'll be grateful, Lord. And Lord, that we will give ourselves to this word that you have so graciously given to us. Uh, We pray that you would Bless us now by your spirit that we will grow in your grace and our, in our understanding of your word. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, I guess in review, uh, those of you maybe who, who weren't here last week, um, in fact, you keep your finger at Romans 6, but uh, you might turn back to uh, Colossians 3. Let me just illustrate a little bit. What he says there, um, there we talked about how uh, he said in Romans 3, you've been raised with Christ, then of course seek the things above, uh, set your minds on the things above, not, not the things that are on earth. Why? Why do you do that? Because you've been raised, but it says you've, you've died you're raised, and then your life is hidden. And notice we said that the grammar is, you're with Christ, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So basically he's saying, your life is hidden in God. That is, you're joined to God. You're united to God. Um, But how are you with Christ? You're united to God. So... Uh, Christ and His humanity, of course, is perfectly united to God. But now we're uh, joined to His humanity and our life is in God. And then as a result of this, he says, when Christ comes, who is your life? So it's another way of saying your life is hidden in God and Christ now is your life. That... Uh, sometimes they'll talk about the Holy Spirit. Your your life is a uh, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes, like in Galatians two, uh, he'll say it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So my life is now completely bound up in the life of Christ. I uh, and 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 I'm I'm manifesting actually the life of Christ. And uh, so. Uh, the thing, though, that we, we see in this, uh, starting in verse 5, it says, seek these things above, right? 
seek them, set your mind on them. And then we see, though, as the text rolls out, that he's talking about character there. So, I put to death... I put to death the things that are earthly. That's what he means by earthly. Uh, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. And then I put on the things that are heavenly, compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And one of our big discussions, which I want to follow through with uh, this morning, is what exactly does it mean that you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God, because it doesn't seem like we're dead to sin at all. You know, we're very much alive to sin, it seems like. It's, it, it, it's what we struggle with every day. Now, one illustration I <coughs> gave was to think of uh, sin as live tentacles all in your life up until the point you're converted. Those tentacles basically control you. Uh, you are at that point, dead to God, and you're very much alive to sin, and that's completely, you're, you're a slave, Jesus said. You're a slave of sin. Um, you're a slave under the power of the enemy. And I, I look at it as, as the power center of those tentacles uh, was smashed uh, at conversion when the Holy Spirit came to dwell in us. And yet the tentacles, though they're, they're broken, they're in now dried up pieces, you know, in fragments all over my life, so to speak. They don't have this control that they did. So I've died to the dominion of sin. And that's what I think is so important for us. Died to sin's dominion. Now, as never before, I can rid myself of sin and I can more and more take on the character of Christ, which I couldn't do otherwise. So uh, you can see in that sense where being dead to sin doesn't mean it's not present in your life at all. It doesn't mean you don't struggle with it, but it does mean you have died to its, its, its dominating influence in your life. Uh, let me give an, another illustration that uh, I thought about this week that is helpful. Some of you have seen maybe most of you, Aaron Brockovich. Um, And so imagine a person who, uh, as the guy at the end of the movie was describing his cousin who was working in the holding pines and how he had a mask on and he had nosebleeds constantly because he was working in those holding ponds that had that chromium-6 poison, uh, basically. And uh, I would call that under the dominion of chromium-6, okay? Completely under the dominion. And what's going to happen if you stay under the dominion of chromium-6? You're going to die from it, right? So that's the analogy of sin. But let's, let's suppose this guy was able to be delivered from that uh, work at a point where he could be healed. So he was taken out of the holding ponds, taken out of uh, that job altogether, And over time, his body begins to recover. And his body is able to completely be done with the effects of chromium-6. Kind of like a person who smoked, and they say, 10 years later, you can't tell that you smoked, really. Your lungs begin to heal themselves. So um, 
I think that's a good analogy to say he died to the dominating influence of chromium-6, or he died to the deadly influence of tobacco. But in, the, uh, in those months and maybe years, there are still the effects of that chromium-6, and you, you, keep, you keep healing and healing and healing. And for us, our healing goes on through the whole of our life, right? And then there's this final complete healing uh, at the time where Christ comes um, and, of course, so partial healing when you die and you're made perfect in your spirit, but you still await the perfect body. Um, it's interesting. People in heaven have never obeyed God in a body yet, but they will. <laughs> right? Uh, they will obey him, and it uh, will obey him in a body that has perfect desires and, and the like. So... Any questions or comments about those illustrations that try to get at this idea? There's a real death to sin and its dominion, but then there's a progressive working out of that in your life. doesn't mean you haven't died. Uh, and Paul insists that we think of ourselves in that way. This is past tense. You have died, right? You have been raised. You must think of yourself in that way. Uh, and... For me, it's what gives me constant hope when I come up against, as I remember coming against some sin 10 years ago. No, it's just, <laughs> um, but the daily struggle as you face the depth of your sin, uh, how ingrained it is, how resistant it is to God's grace. Um, and yet you can say to yourself, I have died. There is going to be progress in my life. Yeah. How does The Philippians 2 passage in particular? Yeah, let's uh, look at Philippians 2, um, 12 and 13. We talked about this some weeks ago, um, but it, it definitely bears uh, visiting again. Because um, in, in verse 12, um, he says, uh, in verse 12, he, he says something that sounds almost... Uh, blasphemous work out your own salvation I a better thing so we talked about it but what what about this doesn't what about this don't sound right <laughs> work out your own salvation yeah work out yeah it sounds like we could do it ourselves exactly uh, almost as though God says, my hands are off, you know, <laughs> you just work this out yourself. Wait, you mean my whole salvation? <laughs> You're just so diametrically opposed to everything. Because he's the one who saves. He has to save us. We can't save ourselves. So there's something really strange when you first read it uh, of, of what's being said here. Uh-huh. You know, if, if it were not followed with uh, fear and trembling, meaning that, we're struggling because we know we can't do it. We yeah. know he has to do it. Yeah, fear and trembling does give you a hint that there's, there's a helplessness involved here. Uh, there's awe involved, the awesome nature of it. Also, uh, this word salvation, it's important to read it in context. Um, in fact, this, this uh, 
passage goes all the way back to the first of the uh, chapter where he says in verse 3, even before that, but verse 3, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind yourselves, which was in Christ. Then he describes Christ's humility and exaltation. Therefore, work out your own salvation. So, salvation has been defined by verses 1 through 5. And this is the critical place of context, okay? The salvation he's talking about is that aspect of God's sanctification, that aspect of God's salvation that brings us into community where we are humble and we're focused on one another instead of ourselves. That's a huge aspect of God's salvation, to create a, a, a community of people who are looking out for each other and not themselves, who've humbled themselves for each other, uh, to each other, just like Christ did in dying for us. That, in fact, this is probably, it's one of the great statements of community and the work of Jesus and what the work of Christ is for and how we're to have that same mind in us that was in Christ. So, uh, working out your salvation is basically working out your sanctification. But remember, this is also a yacht. Ah, that's, bad. that's a bad why. Um, this is also, as so many passages are, it's a y'all passage. Okay? Y'all work out y'all's <laughs> salvation. Okay? So it's, it's a community project. Y'all work out and continue to grow in this aspect of uh, not only looking out for your own interest. Have this mind that, that was in Christ. Account one another as more significant than yourself. So in this context, salvation, as in many contexts, is that part of God saving us into a community and saving us for, from ourselves so that we spend ourselves lavishly upon each other as he spent his life, his, himself for us. Um, so salvation has a broad range. It does mean forgiveness, but it does mean rescue from sin, right? And a progressive rescue from sin. So he has saved us. He is saving us. He will save us in the end. And the word is used past tense, present tense, future tense. And sometimes when it says we wait for our salvation, you think, no, I'm already saved. I already have eternal life. Or like it says in Romans eight twenty three. Uh, we await uh, the redemption of our body, our adoption as children. And you just think, that ain't right. I'm already a child of God. says it in John chapter 1. Uh, he's given me the right to become a, a son of God. But what Paul means is the final outworking of that adoption, right? The final manifestation of that adoption when you get your new body and you really look like a child of God completely inside and out forever because you're perfected, you know. So, anyway, but this, uh, this work out then is based on, first, I mean, is the basis for uh, verse 13. Because he says, for it is God who is at work in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. And as I, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, I used to read books. Uh, I got into this uh, 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 form of theology where 
the main thing was to get out of the way and let God have his way in your life. And they quote this verse and leave out verse 12. They would say, you see, God is at work in you to will and do. You don't have to do anything. You mean in the very context where it says I've got to do, it seems, sounds like everything you know, would work out. So th- this, this is all encompassing. You, Darwin, you, use your energy, your decision, your putting to death sin, your choices and, and sacrifice. You do this because God is working in you. So far from this giving me license to just back off and say, well, I can't do anything. God's working in me. It's the whole motivation to throw myself into this saving work of God. He is saving me and rescuing, uh, working in me so that I want to do his will and so that I will do his will. Um, I, and at this point, this is a great time to bring this in from uh, the Babylon Bee. Um, you know, they have the false uh, uh, titles, <coughs> the fake news, uh, real fake news, um, and so it says, man climbing a mountain is disabled when he lets go and lets God. <laughs> it shows a guy on the side of the mountain. And that really is, I think there's some you know, truth to that. And if you let go and let God in that sense, where you're just like, it's all God, it's nothing of me, and I just, I can't try or I'll be in his way, you know. I just have to, it's what I call garden hose theology, just get out of the way so that God's life flows through me. And I, I remember one uh, minister saying he had that so bad, he would go to the refrigerator for a glass of milk, but he would sit there and wonder, am I wanting this milk or is God wanting this milk through me, you know. You really did. Like psycho- the, the psychology of it is, is torturous, you know, where you, you don't know if I'm doing this or is God doing this. this. The Bible never talks about that. It just says he's working in you, so throw yourself into this. You know. Kim, were you going to say something? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's just amazing, isn't it? You just, no, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, like the uh, God told Israel, I'll go before you, I'll go behind you when you go into Canaan. I will fight your battles, I will rout them, I will strike my fear in them. And they didn't then go sit on the hill and, you know, eat moon pies and drink RC colas, you know. They just, they attacked because God was with them. It's always, I'm with you, therefore move out, you know, act in, in my name. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a both and. It's the energy of God, the life of God in us. And because of that life in us, we, it sets us free to throw our full humanity. We believe our renewed humanity into the warfare. Yes. Working out, 
even the choices we make in life, it's like any work, any any notion, they're completely opposed to, and it's a shame. Yeah, it um, it's a misunderstanding of justification. Um, I think I mentioned to you when. Uh, this was at Jeremy Lelick's conference, but I'll repeat it if, if I said it. But at Jeremy Lelick's conference several years ago, uh, Tavidian, who's no longer the pastor down in South Florida, but uh, at that time he was, and he spoke much in that way. He spoke in a way to say, we're justified, we're always accepted, we're never going to, every day is just going to be full of sin, we're going to keep sinning no matter what. Thank God we're justified. It's basically the message. It's just that we're His, we're accepted, we're accepted, we're accepted. That's the gospel, that's the gospel, that's the gospel. Don't interfere with that gospel. Well, Kevin DeYoung was the next speaker. And uh, Kevin stood up and he, he began gently uh, by saying, It does say in the Bible that Job was a righteous man. It says Noah was a righteous man. He named several others. And he said, it doesn't mean that they were perfect, but they were different than people who are evil every day. They, they, they had a progressive you know, difference in their life because they belonged to God and his salvation manifested itself uh, in them. Um, so there's a, uh, there's a responsibility <laughs> To be righteous. And and you all are righteous people. I know that's a terrible word. Nobody likes it because of self-righteousness. Um, but you're a call to righteousness to, to live out your new life in Christ. And, w- well, uh, along those lines, we, uh, Kay and I, were part of a program some years ago uh, that at a church. I was on staff for a couple of years there. And it was a training for the staff, and, and it was about uh, enjoying justification and adoption. But at the beginning of it, it had these contrasts. Do you try or do you trust? Are you accepted or are you this? And Kay and I both read through them, and we kind of looked at each other and said, both? You know? <laughs> and it was that way. It was, it was this idea that you, you, I, I think for the writer of it, he came out of a world in which, for him, it, all trying and effort was done in a legalistic framework. All trying and effort was done to gain acceptance. And so now that you have this acceptance and, and understand justification and, and adoption, it's like, I can't try anymore. I'm accepted. Because all of my trying was in the context of trying to perform and be accepted by God. And, and so there's that. So for, for me, thankfully, uh, you know, justification has been the, the great thing to set me free to, you know, work my head off and half kill myself, hopefully, to try to obey God. Because you're in this arena of favor and acceptance. And, and as you fail and as you uh, mess up and sin, it's, you're still embraced by him. I know I've told you that illustration of finding... Uh, we, uh, it was really smelly in our kitchen, our first house we had, really bad. And you think, well, it's something in the disposal. It got worse and worse and worse. So I go under the house. It's on pylons, and it's about two feet. And I, and I hit what's been coming out of the disposal about 20 feet away because the P 
PVC was disconnected. So all of that food was poured out and and it wasn't <clears throat> it wasn't Shawshank, but it felt pretty bad, you know. <laughs> felt pretty bad to me as I slid over all this stuff and my face was right in it, you know, and that was the context in which I repaired, you know, and put together the PVC was this horrible smell. So I've thought about that often, though, in terms of God, uh, you know, thinking of the Holy Spirit coming to dwell in me, you know, this place of stench and smell and horrible. I don't even know what's in there, really. I don't. We don't. But he comes to dwell, which is a sign of what justification means, you know, what acceptance means that Christ died for that and he's taken away all condemnation. And I think of God embracing me and holding me close in my stench. You know, I think that's important because we, we really think if I do better today, he likes me more. If I do worse, he likes, you know, he's, 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 he's pulling me in or he's pushing me away. He's going to the back room. I don't want to see you today. You know, even I've, I think many people feel like, uh, Forgiveness is, okay, I'm going to let you go to heaven, but I don't really want to see you that, much, that often. You know, you can come around every once in a while when you're good, but I don't want to see you that often. Stay in the back room, stay in the backyard, and come in every once in a while, but I just don't want your filth around here. You know, I, I, actively, that's what people, they won't say that, but that's how people live so often. They'll say, I think I'm going to heaven because Christ died for my sin, but I don't experience God's smile and favor in my life, you know. And that's the whole point of Christianity is, as John says, we've come to know and believe the love that he has for us. We, we know he, he cares for us. Anyway, uh, as I said too much about this, but um, the, the working out, this, this huge effort is based on what God is doing in me. This doesn't, you know, his work in me, <clears throat> as opposed to the, those books that told me, therefore, let go and let God uh, know, work with, with all of your heart and what, uh, what you have. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the 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 normal. Uh, uh, I mean, the the agreed upon interpretation is that he's talking about justification in terms of justifying or demonstrating before others your faith, and so uh, we're justified, as Paul would say, by faith apart from works. But then our manifestation of that faith comes through our works and we we can say we're justified all we want but if it's not manifesting itself then we're not justified by faith you know uh, it's it's demonstrated um, so which is kind of the it is uh, certainly connected to this as well uh, let's back up to Romans 6 uh, and see if we can look at a few things here that may help after a 30-minute review. Uh, <clears throat> so, the question comes after talking about grace so freely and boldly uh, in a way that 
sounds like. Uh, in fact, when I was, uh, I've, I've t- said this before, but I had a couple of Mormon missionaries come to my house when I was home from college uh, years ago. You can imagine how long ago that was. Um, and I was able to tell them about my faith in Christ and my conviction that I was headed for heaven. And they really looked at me puzzled and they said, if you know you're going to heaven, why do you obey God? They had no concept that your heart could be caught up in the love and grace of God so that you want to obey Him. For them, the only obedience came from, I might go to hell if I don't do this today. And that was, if that was taken away and you know you're going to heaven, then why would you obey God? And their, their assumption is, I wouldn't obey God if I, I don't love him. Really, they're saying that I don't love him or I'm not grateful for him. I, I don't want to conform to him. I'm doing this so I, I won't end up dead in the end. You know, that's why I'm doing this. Cause. So Paul is, has talked so freely about grace and justification and, and, Back in chapter 4, verse uh, 5, he justifies the ungodly, right? We come to him ungodly. We come to him, as my illustration, full of our stench. And as we stand there in our stench, he says, not guilty, accepted. You have my full favor forever. It's just stunning. Justifies the ungodly. But he doesn't leave us ungodly. Uh, And that's Paul's point in chapter 6 because he says... Will we continue in sin that grace may abound? That is, we just keep being the same sinners and grace just keeps magnifying itself in that no matter how bad you are and how bad you remain, grace is exalted because you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. And now he says that's not the way it works. Um, We uh, not only are forgiven, but we are transformed. Because he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? You see, same language. You've died and you've been raised. How can this new life, when your life is hidden with him, Christ is your life, you're not here anymore. You've had a spiritual geography. Uh, You know, your spiritual geography has changed. How can you continue then to live like you used to live? That's Paul's statement here. How how can that be? It, It won't happen. Uh, now, it may be hard. <laughs> There's going to be some struggles in certain areas of life. But um, how can we who died still live in it as a whole way of life? So then he goes on to say, those who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And here, particularly, he's thinking about our spiritual baptism, our spiritual uh, union with Christ meant a union with his death. So he says, we were buried uh, with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there's uh, a a critical term. We've died with him. We've been raised with him. Same language as Colossians. So that now we can walk in newness of life. So, verse 5, we were united with him in a death. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Our old self was crucified so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Uh, 
And this, uh, the old self is really, there's more geography here than it looks, but the old self, uh, the old uh, creation, the old situation, the old dominion is what he's talking about. This whole uh, life that we used to have and all of its connections. <clears throat> and, and he says, that has, that has died. And now, and where we were slaves of sin here. But now you're not. You've been, you're walking in newness of life. And you're manifesting his resurrection now. The resurrection life has taken us up into it. Um, so the, the body of sin, and, and these are pretty radical terms, might be brought to nothing. And it doesn't feel like it's been brought to nothing, but it means in terms of its absolute dominion over your life, that's over, it's gone. It doesn't mean nothing in the sense of you will never sin again the rest of your life. But it does mean this radical break from where you were and what you were uh, and what you were under. Um, So he says in verse 7, the one who's died has been set free from sin. Not absolutely, because it's so easy to dismiss this and say, I've not been set free from sin. I struggle every day with sin. But to be set free from sin's dominion, its absolute uh, unmitigated influence in your life. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Um, So he gets to verse 11. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then I love this application. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. So how's that connected to, say, Philippians 2? Where God is at work in you, work out your own salvation. Do not let sin reign. Why? Because you've died to sin. Because you've been set free from sin. Because you're not under sin's dominion. And so you do not allow it to reign in your mortal body to obey its passions. Do not... Present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. I love this because he says, present yourself to God, not as this still dead person, but you present yourself to him as one who's been brought from death to life. There's hope in your sacrifice, right? There's hope in your offering up to him. And that's why that, that's how to interpret uh, Romans twelve one that we quote so often to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. I heard this for the first time. They said, "Now remember, a living sacrifice can run off the altar." You know, whatever that's supposed to mean, but uh, <clears throat> that was the point of living. But the point of living is you've a made alive sacrifice, a sacrifice of one who. Uh, has been brought from death to life. There's hope in that. I'm no longer what I was. I'm not offering up myself as this completely dead uh, person. I'm offering myself up as one who is wholly new 
And there's this great expectation that um, I, I can really uh, put sin to death. I can, uh, I, I really won't let sin reign in my life. I will not obey its passions. Um, and then he says categorically in verse 14, sin will have no dominion over you. Does that mean you won't struggle with sin? No. Does it mean you'll never face sin again? No. It means, ultimately, it will not have dominion over you. I don't know how to water that down. No matter what your experience may be, at at times you really feel like, if you're like me, it feels like this sin has dominion over me. I'm just saying, it feels like it. But And I think in certain ways... Uh, certainly as it works itself out, those pieces that are still in our lives do exercise a dominion over us. But this is the promise. This does not have to stay this way. You can make progress with this. You are a different person. You can offer yourself up as one who's been raised from death to life. Um, So even as we are up against what we could say, humanly speaking, really is a continuing dominion of sin over us, it's just a matter of God's grace continuing to work in us so that more and more and more it will show itself that indeed sin will not have dominion over me. But some of those things work out over a period of years, right? Really, years that you're able to say over a longer period of time, sometimes with extensive counseling, sometimes with extensive exploration of how I got here. What's the makeup of my pain and brokenness and how long I've operated out of this framework trying to navigate and uh, protect myself in this world and uh, protect myself against relationships and against hurt or try to control things so that they turn out the way I want them to. And those things are hard, hard to deal with. But the hope is I've been taken out of death into life and it will not have dominion over me. So don't let the the length, uh, difficulty of the struggle negate the surety of the promise, okay? It will not have dominion over you. Okay, any response or comments? Does that just sound like crazy? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when you, maybe when you first become a Christian or when you're first even thinking, I'm going to improve my life, you're like, I went to church today. I'm doing pretty good. You know, I went to church two weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. You know, with no thought of where's my heart, where's my gratitude, how engaged am I, you know. Uh, all the things that happen progressively as you're a believer and you're not just concerned to be there but you're concerned how am I here what am I experiencing who am I giving myself away to? you know all those things yeah that's true a new concern about uh, holiness yes
That's a great illustration. Yeah, that's a great illustration. And it's, it's helpful maybe to think of yourself as a piece of gold with impurities. You know, you're made in the image of God, but looks what, look what's come of you. But he's restoring the luster and the beauty and the purity of that gold. Yeah. For years in uh, a charge that was um, very legalistic, and this was something you had to do. This is something that uh, you better not mess up. And it was very uh, restraining on you. You know, you were you almost it was like bondage to mm, mm. Uh, doing what's right and making sure you don't do anything wrong. Yes. Yeah, part of this uh, mentality I was in of letting go, letting God, was the moment you fully dedicate yourself, fully give yourself over to God, then it's just going to kick in, the Holy Spirit's going to take over your life, and you hardly will sin anymore. I just couldn't get to that point. I mean, in other words, you have to get to the point of a perfect uh, uh, giving yourself a perfect repentance and a perfect desire to give yourself up to God. And the problem is that will never happen. I'll never be perfect in my offering of myself. I saw one staff member of a Christian organization uh, have to quit the, at the University of Alabama. It was over that mentality because he, he was so aware of his sinfulness and yet he was supposed to be at a point where he was fully given up to God so that he didn't sin anymore. And it just drove him crazy, which was Martin Luther's problem as well. Yeah. That's great. Very good. And all of that, whether you're running, walking, crawling, is still evidence that your sin will not have dominion over your life, right? And even the fight, even struggling and weeping and, and you know, the crying out to God over and over again, deliver me, uh, that shows that sin is not going to have dominion in your life. Um, so, well, got to get, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, we thank you for what you've, uh, delivered us from and what you've delivered us, uh, for and unto. Lord, uh, thank you that we belong to Christ. Thank you that as Paul says in Colossians, you've delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of your dear son. Oh, Lord, what hope there is for us as we now are in your favor, as you embrace us, no matter how much we uh, smell because of our sin. You heartily, warmly, graciously embrace us and give us your favor right now so that we have this wonderful context in which, uh, as your spirit works in us and is removing the impurities of our life, we can engage our full humanity in that work uh, under the, the eye of your favor and love. Thank you, Lord, for your great work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.